You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we won't be looking at the traditional uh, uh, story. Uh, I believe we know all of that, but we're going to look at the foundations of that, okay? Pastors... Pastors give Easter sermons because it's important to remember the reason why we mark this day, right? To remember why it's necessary that Christ would die and what it means for us living today. And that, that's, that's going to be my point, is what it means for us living today. That those of us who have faith in the Lord's sacrifice uh, on, on our behalf, okay, so for, for this morning, we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul, and he will be given a summary, okay? He's summarizing the work of Christ on the cross, and in doing so, what it means for those who have received faith and believe. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's 14 through 21, and he says, For the love of Christ controls us. Right? For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, and those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in this letter to the church in Corinth, Paul has been explaining to the believers, okay, that why he's risked his life. He takes beatings on a daily basis and all this. He's risking life and limb to serve the Lord and spreading the gospel. Okay, And Paul is taught that he's made his ambition both in how he lives and in how he ultimately dies is pleasing Christ. It is to please the Lord. 
Doing these things that please the Lord is what drives Paul's thinking. It's his, it, he eats, sleeps, and breathes the gospel. All right. Remember, Paul used to kill Christians. He was persecuting them, killing them, putting them in prison. And now he has been saved and, and received faith. And now this is all that he can do is talk about Jesus, love people, spread the gospel. And just a few verses earlier, he had explained that all believers are going to face Christ uh, in a judgment, and one in which I, I've explained before, uh, one I, I don't know everything about, the Bema Seat, this judgment of Christ. Uh, it's not condemnation. You're saved if you believe in the Lord. Uh, it, it's standing before the Lord, though, uh, when you enter into that, into, on that day. I don't know what that is, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to act like I pretend. I know a lot of things, but that one I don't really get at all. Okay, so he, he's he's talked about that, and he's been speak, speaks of a living in a healthy fear of the of the Lord. You know, fear is the awe and the reverence uh, of standing before the God, uh, our God, and resisting sin and working diligently to help others know this truth. All right. So in this passage, then that we've come to. Paul is explaining why he feels this way, why he serves the Lord. And it begins with the love of Christ, that the love of Christ has been evident in his death on the cross. And he says in, in verse 14 that the love of Christ controls us, right? The word for control is constrain. All right, the, the, the love that God has for us places these constraints on how a believer may live. But these are good constraints. These are healthy. They are productive constraints. And he goes on to explain that he draws this conclusion from the fact that Christ died for us so that we might live, right? He placed himself on that cross by his own decision. Nobody else was going to do it. He let them do that. And it was in obedience to the Father's plan. Christ died that cruel death as a payment or a propitiation of our sins. And now that he has made that payment, payment our debt of sin is erased when we receive faith and, and believe in that payment and in him. So in a sense, Paul says Christ died for us so that we won't die, right? But he says that we now live. And this is like this sort of a, a double meaning here that some, some will say here, well, he's speaking of eternal life. You will live now forever. Uh, but, but we no longer live for ourselves at this moment, all right? That's what he's saying. We no longer live for yourself. You live for Christ. And that sacrifice was intended for a purpose, all right? You'll, you're never going to read much in the Bible about, like, what most of us have grown up with, trying to scare you out of uh, 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 going to hell and scare you more into going to heaven, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to see, like, like, you're going to hell, you're going to hell all the time. It's always about a lot of this stuff that we're going to see today, all right? Uh, 
there, there is a purpose for this. You know, now you don't just get saved to wait to go to heaven either. It's not about just waiting to go to heaven. There's a purpose to be saved and being put in Christ and be placed in him as you live out the remainder of your life, however long that is. All right. So that sacrifice was intended for a purpose in your life now. The death of one makes possible a new life for all the rest because only one needed to die so that everyone else could live on, right? But now we live to fulfill a mission, right? That's the appeal that, that Paul makes to every believer in connection to Christ's death on the cross. That Paul says in verse 15, we should no longer go on living for ourselves. We don't take Christ's death and squander it by returning to living a life that supports sin and looks like the rest of the world and looks exactly the way it did prior to Jesus. Instead, we live to support Christ's mission of reaching the world with this message of salvation. This is that ministry of reconciliation, okay? So Paul, he outlines how our perspective in life needs to change as men and women are granted a new eternal life by Christ's sacrifice. And it begins in verse 16 with how we see the people around us. We no longer recognize these people according to the flesh, he says. Paul means that we no longer can afford to see people merely in the terms of their earthly existence. In the flesh and body. All right, do you guys get that? I know that we often go, oh, it's the world, it's getting worse. Well, it's the devil, it's sin, they're awful. We're doing that. I, I do it too, okay, I understand. He's saying we ought not do that. You, you, you know what that is already. So let's not look at them in the terms of an earthly way. We need to look at them differently. Uh, he, he, he draws this comparison to the way believers in the first century church knew Jesus. Okay, there were still many who had seen Christ in the flesh when Jesus walked in Galilee and taught. And during those days, they knew Jesus uh, as a man in the flesh, right? They had not yet come to understand that Jesus was God incarnate and would rise from the dead. So then after Jesus died and he's resurrected and then ascended into heaven, these same believers came to know Jesus in the spiritual sense as well. His spirit now indwelled them by faith, and he was something much greater in their understanding. He was no longer just a man, right? Now they knew him in spirit as well. So in the same way, Paul is saying, you and I have known each other in an earthly, fleshly sense, right? We know each other's faults. My wife knows all of them, right? <laughs> always try to make a joke. We aren't always kind or forgiving enough to one another. But regardless, we now should set that kind of relationship aside. And in its place, we need to know each other as we know Christ in a spiritual way. So in the meantime, as I keep that future in mind, as I relate 
to all of them, to all of you. I want to live for Christ, pursuing his mission since he has died for me. And Christ's mission was one of showing the love of God to a fallen man. Remember, while we were still yet sinners, right? We were sinners, depraved. There was nothing that we could do on our own whatsoever to merit anything. The standard for heaven is perfection. Who here is perfect? Now, who here that has faith in Christ is perfect, right? Because you're perfect on account of Christ's perfection, right? But it's his. He gives that to you. So the standard of heaven is perfection. You're never going to meet that no matter how many works you try to do, no matter how many good things, whatever, all that stuff. Here it is. It's right there. Okay. You won't meet that. That's why Jesus did what he did. He pursued me. He died for me. And he showed love, the love of the Father to fallen humanity. He came to heal. He came to speak truth. He came to care for those who had need and who have need. But as long as we view fellow believers according to the flesh, I'm not going to be able to see you as Christ sees you. So notice in verse 17, Paul summarizes our new perspective of fellow believers by reminding us that we have all become these new creations, right? Some, some translations say new creatures. <laughs> but we have all become new by our faith in Jesus. So if someone is in Christ which means to have placed their faith and trust in him for salvation, then that person is this new creation. You've been born again, which is born from above. And Paul goes on to explain that the old nature has passed away. Before we knew Christ is Lord, we were living in that fallen nature, depraved, and we, that we had received from uh, Adam, the federal headship of humanity. Now you'll see in Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, the same type of message. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind that was the old you before you came to know jesus you were alive in the earthly sense but you and i were dead in the spiritual sense you were spiritually dead and you were a child of wrath we lived out the lusts of our flesh and we were by nature then a a child that deserved only God's wrath. So Paul tells us that those old things have passed away. The old, that means it's ancient. Old in Greek, okay, is ancient. He is referring to the things in us that originated in ages past, if you will, all right, but it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when mankind fell into sin. That ancient nature that you and I were all born into 
has passed away by our faith in Jesus because of his death and resurrection. And there's this Greek thing, if you know language, in this Greek language in verse 17, it's called an aorist tense, okay? And what that means is that it's an action that occurred in an instance, and it continues forever. Our old nature was put to death by our faith in Christ's death. It is forever gone away, will never return. Therefore, how can we look upon fellow believers according to who they once were since Christ died to put those away as well? It's all equal. It's all the same, right? Yes, we still carry the, the, the sin nature in our, sin, or our bodies, you know, at least for now, but that's just temporary. By faith, we have a new spirit, and that's what carries on into eternity. So the meaning of, of Easter is that Christ's death made us new, and so that we might see one another in the church with spiritual eyes and those of the world. Secondly, and I'm not doing points here, I'm just secondly. I'm not a point-by-point point preacher. I'm not going to give you a poem at the end either. I, nothing wrong with that. I just don't do it. But we must not look upon the unbelieving world according to the flesh either. You already know. You know what it is. You know what the sins are, okay? The one who, who has yet to believe in Christ, they're not, they're not enemies per se, Unbelievers may look down upon our beliefs. They may mock us. They may dismiss us. They may even hate us. They may even persecute us at times, and they do. But if we return that hatred with hatred or judgment with judgment, then we are recognizing them according to the flesh, according to the ways of the world. Instead, we must look at them with spiritual eyes once again, knowing that, that the one who has not yet believed in Jesus Christ is the very person that we are called to serve. You notice in verse 18 and 19, Paul says that these truths have been given to us by God as a ministry of reconciliation. So what is that? What is this ministry of reconciliation? Right? It's the reality of sin. He's referring to the reality of sin. Sin separates us from God. It makes us his adversary. Remember children of wrath, right? Our sin will require judgment. The wages or payment for that sin is eternal death. But God so loved the world that he placed his son on the cross to die in our place so that we could be reconciled to the Father, to God. And God reconciled believers to himself by not counting their sins against them. So he can do this because those sins were counted against Jesus instead, which is why Jesus died. He was paying our price in our place, and he's accredited it to our account, all right? So you make no mistake, though, the Bible is clear that the one and the only way a person may be reconciled to God is through faith in Jesus. It's not many roads that, ro uh, that lead to God like Oprah and others say. 
this God will lead to that God, which will ultimately lead to the God. One way only, Jesus. There's no other way to be forgiven and to receive eternal life. So the message in our ministry to the world is we are to go out explaining this truth to the world so that they may be reconciled to God by believing in this message. But if we allow ourselves to see the world only according to the flesh, then we won't be likely to pursue them for Jesus with urgency and persistence. We may, we, we may make token efforts at times, but how motivated will we actually remain if we continually see the world, world according to the flesh? When they resist us, you may give up. When they persecute us, we may decide they are unsavable. But Paul says it's our job and our service of worship to Christ. I heard a story recently of another, a church in another country. I just thought of this. <clears throat> Where they're having service and these, like, gang comes in and holds the place up, shoots the pastor, doesn't kill him, right? Shoots the pastor. <clears throat> and the pastor ministered to this man and didn't press charges and continues to minister to the man. And now he's saved and part of the church. <laughs> it's different in other parts of the world. There's... there's when they when they worship and have church and other play, I'm not trying to I'm not de degrading us as in what we do, but there's no time limits. There's no going home. There's no getting it, like we got to get to this place to do this. Like we're here. Like we've waited all week to do this, and we like we want to do this. You know, it, it'd be hard to somebody shoot you because of who you are and what you believe in, and then bring them to to the Lord. That's hard. I mean, I'll say it. I'm a preacher. <laughs> Not that I'm any different. I'm just saying. It's like, wow, that's crazy. All right. In verse 20, then, Paul, he calls us these ambassadors, right? Ambassadors for Christ. All right. So when, when we step out into the world, we share the good news. It's the gospel, all right? But Paul says, it's literally the Lord himself making an appeal through us. He says as if God is making that appeal. So not looking at the unsaved world according to the flesh means seeing them all as potential believers. That potentially the entire world may come to know what we have come to know. In God's sovereign plan, some will come to faith. Others won't. But from our perspective, the whole world is a possibility, right? And at school, at work, your family, and so on. So we look at them according to this, the spiritual potential, not according to their present fleshly disobedience. And that's hard. And that's why Paul ends verse 20 with that cry, that rallying cry for the entire church that we beg men and we beg women to be reconciled to God. 
which is to say we work with urgency we work with persistence to convince the sinner of their impending jeopardy right of the reality that they are merely a heartbeat away from that eternal death but the good news is that god has made a way available to be reconciled to himself through faith in jesus and as paul says that the father made christ take on our sin in our place right because christ had no sin of his own so he did not deserve to suffer as much less die but he took on our sin and by faith uh, awards us then with his righteousness and in god's eyes a believer then is as pure as christ so easter reminds us that sinners need saving and that Christ died so that we might take that message of reconciliation to the world. You've had the Easter sermons that said he did this for you and re rejoiced. Now you're receiving the Easter message that say you've been given a mission. <laughs> right? You take the message out now to those who need to hear it. We are those Christ have preserved so that we might accomplish this. We have, it's, it, we have no choice. We ought to be like Paul. I have no choice because his love for us constrains us. Christ died to set you free from death, but some haven't accepted that payment yet. They haven't confessed belief in Jesus. They know the story. They've heard it before. And Paul says, it's time to stop waiting. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul tells you to look upon me to look upon other Christians in this room as men and women working with God, with the creator of the universe, that we are as ambassadors. He saved us and sent us into the world to find more ambassadors. We are here to declare to these people that Jesus is their Lord. He is mine. He is theirs. And one day we know every, every knee will bow and every, every mouth will confess that Jesus is Lord. But you must make that confession this side of the grave if you are to receive that mercy that God has offered to you. And Paul writes in verse 2 of chapter 6, quoting from the book of Isaiah, that there is a day... When the Lord reaches down into a person's life, he brings the truth of himself onto them, gives them faith to save that person. So we may go every day of our life without giving God even a thought. We could be the world's worst sinner. I understand we all would say that. But in either case, we are not good enough to equal God's standard for entering heaven, as I mentioned earlier. And so he, in his mercy, in his grace, has granted us that opportunity to be reconciled through the death of his son. And in that death, 
He overcame the power of death and was resurrected. And he sits at the right hand of God in power today. And that is Easter. That's why we celebrate. That's why we are here. Is there any questions? Is there any comments? I even take disagreements if you're new. <laughs> and if anyone, uh, if anyone needs to be reconciled, God pleads to you through me and through those around you, be reconciled. Be reconciled.